Hello and welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal Detroit Free Press and USA Today Network. This is Phil Friend, your host. Oh, wait, no, <laughs> I'm not Phil Friend. I'm Graham Couch. Um, I'm alongside Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press. I am also not Phil Friend. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Phil is, is not with us today, and um, he's fine. He's good. Uh, he's still with us. He's still, he's still with, with us. us. Probably shouldn't have phrased it that way. <laughs> Uh, phrasing is not my strength. Words are not my strength. But uh, but Chris and I are here to bring you a Spartan speak, um, talk some MSU hoops, some MSU football uh, here in this uh, busy time of, of year when when things collide and, and uh, the two sports are there. And I, I think it's it's fun. I'm not sure I'd want to do November twice, but doing November once is is, is kind of is kind of fun. Um, Chris, you want you want to start with some uh, some hoops, and then we'll we'll get into some football. I want to start with. I want to start with leaving October in October. That's what I want to do. Yeah, uh, you, I, I like doing. I I don't mind November once, but I I, I the last month has been a year. <laughs> so yeah, no, we'll, we'll leave it at that. But yeah, let's start with some hoop. All right. So, um, Michigan State uh, beats um, Northern Arizona seventy three fifty five, and um, in the opener. Uh, they play Gonzaga this Friday on an aircraft carrier in San Diego. Uh, I thought the um, performance on uh, on Monday night was uh, curious. Your takeaway here? I thought there was no there were no red flags, which I think was is important when you're playing a low major. There's only so much you can guarantee you can take away from. I thought there were no red flags, and I thought there were things that give you some promise now there, there are things you still have to see um but i you know i thought they're they're um you know joey hauser's scoring punch i thought tyson walker's defense i thought getting jade nakin's uh feet wet coming back uh, was really important i think that uh, pierre brooks finally seeing the ball go in having all that happen before you face the gauntlet of your schedule um they you know sissoko and kohler you know, we'll see whether they can hold up, but there was no evidence that it's going to be a complete disaster to this point yet. So I think, and and they played like they cared. I, I think they really played a, with a spirited effort for the most part, um, unlike the first half against Grand Valley in the exhibition. What were your your takeaways from Monday night? Well, I would say there are a couple red flags. Um, I, I, I wouldn't agree with you on that because I do okay. think that you look at, at what A.J. Hogarth did, and that's been a very big point for Tom Izzo throughout the the preseason um not just uh, not just the summer and, and but it really ramped up in the in the preseason after they started practice that he needs him to be a better leader that he needs him to make better decisions and he picks up three he gets into foul trouble early and picks up two of his three fouls early in the game were charges which is a little bit out of control and that's been a that's been a major point for him is to to be be a little more under control with the decision making. I think some of the they get a turnover or two that were um I didn't have to look back, but there was at least one bad turnover in there on top of the char- the charges. Um so I think that's one thing. I think also the the combined struggle shooting, that's not a I wouldn't call that a red flag so much as something to just kind of at least be cognizant of seeing what him and Walker, I think they went up combined like over seven, maybe um, in the first half or somewhere along those lines. They finished a little better because they started taking the ball to the rim, but their jump shots weren't going down. So I think that's kind of, those would be my red flags. If anything, I, I thought 
the big development to me was then there were a bunch of them one i think pierre brooks shot outside shot looks like it could be legit and it it what did we say the 48 49 point average in money ball translates to about 12 points a game i think i said and, <laughs> and he scored 14 in this one so we'll see if that holds up but that's that's important because i think brooks is such a vital piece to that team cuz he's he's such a wild card cuz he could really blow up this year um and then i think the other thing that i thought there there were two other things one i think they rebounded a heck of a lot better than they did in the exhibition game. That was that was critical. That was noticeable right away. Um, there was a lot more energy. It wasn't manufactured. It was pretty right out of the gate. They were attacking the glass. Um, you know, between Hogard and uh, Hauser and Sissoko and Hall, they were all getting in traffic and going for the ball. And my, probably my third takeaway was Mati Sissoko defensively stayed on the court. I mean, they had some big guys. Northern Arizona had that the one big guy, number 33, Tout, who was, you know, running his mouth a little bit. But um I, I thought Sissoko, he was he he looked like a pogo stick out there on rebounding, which they need. I mean, they, they need that guy in particular to be a rebounder. Everybody else around him, yes, they need them to rebound and and, and crash the boards because there's not that much depth, but him in particular, they need him to be assertive and aggressive. And I thought he was without fouling. I mean, you know, he went 15 minutes for his first foul, which, and I think he only had one foul in the game. So yeah. some some pretty good signs right there going forward on top of the ones that you said. Because I, I think those other ones are a lot more positive in this game than, you know, it, it, when Tom Izzo comes into a post game and he's not trying to find and, and nitpick, then, then you know that you had a pretty good night. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. You bring up Hogard and, and, you know, I, I did. I was a little critical of him after the game. I, I think a year ago I would have praised his performance because it was what, like eight assists, three, uh, three turnovers, you know, nine points, whatever. That that would have been fantastic. We're just at a different place with expectations for him, right? And and, and so I think that's um, that's what, because you're right. He only had three turnovers. He had eight assists. It's not the worst assist to turnover ratio, but they were memorable turnovers, and that they were charges, they were control fouls, they were avoidable. And um, and so I do think that is the reason I say that wasn't a red flag for me is I think we've seen we've seen who Sissoko can be or not Sissoko. We've seen who Hogarth can be and um, where there are some other there are more questions with other guys. But you're right to that point. Like that's something that at certain times this year will be costly foul trouble. Uh, you know, they need him to be they need they need him to be consistently very, very good and very, very sound and a force and all those things. To I would the one thing I would say that sort of uh, mitigates the red flag on anything that would happen there is the play of Trey Holloman in these yeah. first two games, the exhibition game and the opener. Like he looks like, and I don't think they're planning to use him a ton this year, but he looks like a guy who belongs, and that's the best thing fearless. you can say for a freshman. Fearless too. Yes, and, and and both both ends of the court, like he is offensively a little bit of Jaden Akins last year, whereas he's not going to hurt you and knows it. Like, I, I think there's probably a part of him that thinks he could do more, but he understands to be on the court. He is going to push the ball. He's going to move the ball. Um, you're going to handle the ball. And if he does those things, then other guys will get shots and, and, and he'll help them. And defensively, he's already very, very good in certain ways. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm talking about team defense and help. There's maybe some things he doesn't do there yet, but 
Um, and I don't know that. I'm just saying that the, the defense is more complex than the, the on-the-ball stuff. But in, in these two games, he's looked like a guy who can fill minutes for you adequately. And and that takes away some of the, uh-oh, this guy picked up a foul. And I think that's going to be what's interesting about this team because they don't have great depth, but they do have great flexibility perhaps and great versatility now that Akins is back and the number of guys who can play multiple positions. And so that mitigates a little bit of the the depth concern. So I, and so I, I do think that's been a, a, an important development. I'm glad you brought up Sissoko. I think um, I'm really curious to watch Sissoko and Kohler this next week or so yeah. in these couple games. And we'll see if Kentucky's got their big fella and he's healthy and not. But well, um, and they got and they got Carson Cooper some early minutes in that game yeah. too. You know, which I mean, obviously he's not going to redshirt. I mean, and we knew that anyways, but. Um, he seemed to handle himself okay in those couple minutes. Um, you know, he's you can tell he's raw, but they're going to need that size, that extra size. I think you know if you can get, you know, he's kind of in some ways the big man's version of of Trey Holloman. You know, I mean, you need that extra body there that can can participate at that level. And although I, I think that he's, you know, where where Holloman is probably a little more polished and a little more. Uh, seasonable you know i guess season probably more ready for this kind of competition you can see the development curve still there for for carson cooper but i like kohler i call her around the rim you know i under i i see the the zach randolph comparison and that's not an easy one to to look at and, and say well geez how can you you know think about that unless you were around in 2000 when randolph got there and you know you saw just you know, a guy that had a soft, soft touch around the basket. Then I think that's where the comparison is, like how he finishes at the rim. He's not like a power dunker kind of guy. He's a, a finesse guy uh, in in the paint for for a guy his size. And Randolph was always like that too. So um, good footwork, good good ability. I mean, I thought he was he impressed me a little more than I thought uh, going to the boards. Um, you know, I think he had a, a pretty solid night. Uh, there and that's got to continue as well. But you know, it's, there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be a wall for the freshmen. I think all three of those guys at some point. But but so far, it's uh, they're off to a pretty good start, and they look like they're all going to be contributors. Yeah, it, the Kohler's uh, got a little bit of um, a little bit of a lot of guys. Like there's a little bit of Erasm Lorbic in him. There's a little of Sutan. There's a little of Zach Randolph and Nick Ward and those guys. I mean, there's just he does a lot of different skills. And you know he, he took an outside shot too. Yeah, yeah. He's not on. He's not on Nick Ward's path as a three point shooter. No, he's he's not. And, Nick and, Ward and, is still the the program's best three point shooter at three for three. And I don't want to give him Derek Nix completely either because Nix was a guy who lived to pass. Um, sometimes yeah. to a fault. And 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 Kohler, even though he's got that skill in him, I think thinks he can uh, zigzag with his footwork out of any trouble right now and get off a shot and and and. Uh, probably needs is going to learn. I think he's going to learn pretty quickly that that's not yeah. the way uh, that it's going to work for him, and not the way to constant playing time. Uh, I, I think one of the good things about the situation with him is he can be a huge help. But as of right now, they don't need him on the court because they can go with Sissoko, obviously, and they can go small with Hauser. Um, but it was interesting because they play like Drew Timmy and, and, and Gonzaga on, on Friday, and, and I asked Kohler about. Timmy, because I mean, he's a West Coast kid. How much he, 
he's watched him a ton. And I think he, yeah. he I, I'm very curious about when he faced savvy, good, big guys, and there are going to be lots of different kinds of big guys, you know, how, uh, the next two games. what's that in the next two games? Yes. alone. Yes. And, um, so it, this is going to be, um, it, it, he's going to be an interesting guy to watch. I think Cooper is, um, you, you can see it with Cooper. Like I think Cooper's going to be a really good player. It, it, it's going to be yeah. fascinating with it because I think this class and years to come will be a class that is, and I, I don't want to overdo it after one game. And I don't mean they're going to be an NBA class here or anything. What I mean is they're going to be a staple of the program, meat of the program type class. It's going to be around for a bit. That's going to be critical because you've got a guy and and and, and Holloman, and I know they've got a, you know a guy in Fears next year that, that they're real excited about point guard wise. But you've got a guy at Holloman. I think looks like a point guard. Looks like a guy who you know when it's his turn will be ready to be the point guard if if if, if that's the position he wins. At the very least, he's going to be a, a big player on the court. You've got two big men who aren't going to leave early for the pros unless Cooper does something. I mean, Cole is just not big enough. And Cooper, yeah. unless something just unbelievable happens with his development rapidly, can be around a little bit. And so you're going to have your bigs. Now, the one thing I would say is this. You never know in the transfer portal era who's unhappy and when. So you can't right. bank on guys the old way you could a little Especially bit. Especially when you've got so many guards. You're right. guard heavy right now. You, you can't bank for, on some guys for so many years. But I, I think – Point guard big, the two positions that that have at times plagued Michigan State in the last couple of years that they haven't had at certain times, I think they now know if those guys stick around that they've got that position in pretty good shape. Also, you know, signed Xavier Booker uh, today as this morning as we – Yep. Um, it is signing day today here, Wednesday, um, November 9th, if you were playing along at home. Uh, yeah, so – so that's and, a- I, and, they, and they anticipate getting all all four of the guys with uh, fears will sign sometime today. I think Norman will sign sometime today, and then I think, from what I understand, Cohen Carr m- may sign today. But he has a ceremony on Friday, so it, it could be he could wait till Friday too. But they 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 all they are all expected to sign. They're not anticipating these shenanigans. But getting Booker already is the big thing. I mean, you're talking about the composite number three. I mean, you look at some, a couple sites have him as number one in the yeah, class in 2023. I mean, yeah. it's it's a hell of a haul for Izzo right now. And I think that one of the, of the good things is because you, know, you talk to people about Booker, you know, I mean, he's ranked very high, and I think he's going to be a very good player. But he may not be, for example, where Jaron Jackson was when Jaron Jackson arrived, right, and far. And so you also don't want to put too much on a kid. And I think one of the things that helps about, you know, when you talk about roster makeup, um, and we don't know what some of the guys who are on the roster will do after this year. I, I imagine Hauser uh, won't decide to have a, a, a another year, even though he could do it. I, I imagine he'll eventually say he's done it. You know, you well, never I mean, he, this, I believe, is his COVID year right now. Right, he would have he to. He can still petition for the foot. That, or I think it was the foot or whatever surgery he had Medical, he yeah. yep. early enrolled at Marquette for that half year um, that used up some eligibility, but he didn't play because he went in hurt after right. injuring himself in high school. He just enrolled in college early. So I, you know, I would anticipate he wouldn't come back, but, you know, straight. He, he seems, I'll say this. And, and I th- you know, we didn't really talk. And I don't think enough about the game that he put together. Yeah, because I thought he looked he looked aggressive on the boards. 
Um, he it was his first double double since this late December last year. He only had two a year ago, but you saw in the non conference 2020 before you know kind of the doldrums hit with COVID that you know he was he can be a double double kind of guy. I, th- um, I think I think he might be this year. Like I would be if I had a, a, a bold take to take away from the game to overreact, so to speak. Yeah, it would be that I, I think he'll lead them in scoring. Well, I, I could see that. I I think he. He, you know, he's a, a guy that can rip the ball off the boards and get you going, you know, without transition, you know, transition without, you know, putting yourself at risk. You don't need to dish the ball. He can bring it up. Um, He's kind of like a, a follow me here, a poor, 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 poor man's Larry Bird. Oh, gosh. And you can and you can look at this guy and like I, I look I every time I look at him, <laughs> I think. Man, he looks like Larry Bird. Like he just looks a little bit like Larry. He is Bird. white. That gives him Larry Bird. Well, um, it's not but... just that. It's the facial features. It's the the height <laughs> and everything. But I think the biggest thing that I took away from, and maybe this is the biggest thing that uh, take away for right now with this team, is that he looks so much more. He just seems so much more relaxed, so more much more at ease with himself. Not just in the in the offense, but off the court too. I mean, he, there's no secret that he had a hard go with COVID, with being away from home, with the, you know, being in a uh, basically a new environment in some ways that it went after he transferred. But I, I think that he seems at a really good place and that can really change things if he hits the ceiling that that he's had, you know, since he was an all Big East freshman. Completely agree with you. Uh, I, I think that, you know, he, he just, yeah, in a good place, a great way to put it. He just seems, um, he seems very comfortable, very, I mean, I, you know, I'm happy for him that he came back and gets to experience a year that, and maybe things aren't, things aren't going to go all perfectly this year for anybody, for him, for, but, but he looks like a guy who's, who's found his game again. And, uh, when, and when I say he's going to lead them in scoring, I don't know that he's always, he's going to be their consistent guy that like, Hey, that, that's their score. No, I think they got a number of guys who, will be yeah. um but i i think he's the guy who will probably have the most nights where he's in the upper teens uh because of his shooting ability and the number of shots he appears willing to take now which is 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 big and also the different roles he's going to be in in the 4 and the 5 he's going to play a lot of minutes and uh he's going to create he's going to have some matchups that work in his his favor here and there offensively um so yeah so that, and then so we were going back to the you know what Booker would be walking into or whatever in, the, in this sort of roster makeup. Malik Hall will have an interesting decision after this year. I mean, he's not really a guy who looks like he's going to step into the NBA. He's not that big. He's got you know. We'll see what this year holds for him. But he, he was a guy any... in that game that I thought could have done more. Yeah, defensively, I think he was there. Yep. I think he was getting in the mix for rebounds, but offensively, see, he seemed a little out of sorts. And I, I know, I, you know, I've heard. I've gotten some response that people want more from him offensively. And I, I agree that it needs, here's what I didn't mind about Malik Hall's game is a year ago, there were games where he just wasn't all that engaged um, and, and halves that went by that he wasn't all that engaged. And I think he struggled with the platooning with Hogarth. He wasn't on the court. It took him a minute to get into it. And sometimes, and he's not a uh, Hauser, sorry. And he's not a natural takeover guy. And so if things, you know, I, I, I think I'm, if they don't need him to be constant offensively, 
I, I'm okay with him not being as long as he looks like he's engaged offensively, which he did. I mean, I, I thought he and he defensively very engaged, and he had showed that edge. Obviously, that block he had, and then standing over uh, an opponent and flexing on him—that's stuff that you don't see from Malik Hall. He's a really nice guy. Like he's not—that's not really in his DNA. Usually, I think those are important traits. But he'll have an interesting decision after this year. So, and I think that would be the best thing for MSU if you could get those bigs back with another year of of, of Malik Hall. We'll see what he decides, but you can see how the roster all of a sudden becomes, um, you know, pretty pretty good in there if, if what you, if all you're losing is Hauser. And that, that's a loss, but that's part of what college basketball is. You develop and you, and, yeah, and, and, you, and you could definitely use some – with the younger guys, you could use that veteran presence. Totally. Without totally. a doubt. I mean, by the way, uh, the, this – it will be a telltale sign of when we're recording it. Cohen Carr just signed. Okay, I mean, there you go. Now too. So that's – so now, you know, Norman and Fears are, are anticipated today. So, like I said, Cohen Carr didn't know, it, you know, he's supposed to have a ceremony on Friday, but I didn't know if he was going to sign this morning or wait until then. So, so there That's you right. go. There, it, there'll be a four, a four class, four player class that really looks, I think, is top three in the country right now. Good class. It's in, in, in it's, and, and you, know. Might, you know, I mean, that's this is the early signing period. So, you know, depending on what some of those guys do, you know, you could see more guys. I I don't necessarily know if you will with this class. I mean, I mean, he may hold off on some of some of those decisions to see what what the portal, yeah. uh, I guess, crystal ball might have if if there's anything there. Or if not, well, the, um, the other the other thing that's interesting is you know I think with with the group and and we're one game into this year and <laughs> when you get signing day you start yeah. talking about the future of a program, but. Nonetheless, it's 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 look. I think it's it's fun for fans too to to sort of imagine what a group could be. And I, and last year, like I, I said a lot, and I was wrong. I would say last year, I said you know this could be a two year group going into last year. But that was assuming a little bit of a different year from Max Christie, and that he was sticking around and things were. Yeah. And, and but when you do look ahead, and, and you see when you get these guys all in the early signing period, so you know they're locked in. They're actually committed. This is when I would say they're committed. They've signed. Yes, um, this is they're committed <laughs> to being here next year, and um, but next it, summer, I guess it, it looks like an intriguing class with guys who should be, uh, you know, several guys that should be able to help immediately. But the roster also, like, what does Tyson Walker decide he wants to do? He, he he'll have a year, and the way he's playing, I thought his defense was unbelievable uh, in that first game. If he brings that, uh, now you know they're going to want him to shoot a little better. He's a one, he's a guy who can create his own shot a little bit. They're going to they're going to need him to hit shots, but defensively i mean he was he was intimidating he was all over the place and, and it was but it was northern arizona Let, let's totally. see what it does against gonzaga absolutely on friday let's see what it's like against kentucky because that was the one thing that he struggled with was the bigger guards that he faced you know that with his size i mean there's there's a little bit of limitations there i don't know i don't know what he would do um you know cuz i would i would, it, i don't know how much he had to transfer I don't know where he's at academically. I mean, you know, he seems like a guy that maybe, you know, because there are going to be a lot of guards. I mean, there are going to be, you know, Jaden Akins, we don't know, you know, I mean, if he blows up this year, he could be gone. But, you know, the foot issue might keep him there. Um, we'll see. I mean, that's it's too easy, too early to speculate with him because he, he has the ability to do that. I don't know if he's going to be there just yet. Um, but then you got fears, you've got, Norman coming in, you I mean you got and Brooks, who's who, there were times last uh, the other night when Brooks was playing the two, 
Yeah. Um, you know, no, so- it, and it's, it, it's, it, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting roster. And I think that when you talk about what is going to do with the transfer, but I don't think he'll have any idea until some of these guys make decisions at the end of the year. Right. And then you, and then it may be a place that's really intriguing if you need a piece here or there, but it looks like it could be a, um, you know, a roster that's, that's really sound and, and has some seasoning and yet young talent. And it could be, could be, you know, you, you just don't know who's, who's leaving, who's coming in this, in this day and age. Got a whole season before that in which, I, I think this Friday and next Tuesday, and obviously then the Villanova game, we are going to find out, and beyond that, Alabama may be the best team they've faced in the non-conference, who knows. Um, but we're going to find out real quick whether this team is sort of ready for prime time. It, it, and I think what happens in this stretch doesn't mean they can't get there. But right. we're going to find out a little bit about how close they are and how reasonable it is to expect certain things um, early on really quickly. Yeah, sometimes we see these teams that, that Izzo has that surpass those expectations in November um, and kind of build. I, I think, you know, that's that uh, the 15-16 team. Well, no, maybe it was the 14-15. The one of those teams. Yeah. No, I think it was the 15-16 team, uh, the one that lost to Middle Tennessee. I mean, they were oh, yeah, coming yeah. off the yeah. Final Four, but they had lost a couple pieces. And you thought, well, maybe how good they can be. And then they just went through November and December, and you were then they they got up to number one in the country, and you're like, whoa, you know. And then you know the Valentine injury happens, and you know they start to to have a little bit of a mid season swoon. But at that point, you saw how that team I think took it from could be good to very good, you know. And that it could be could be to R is is kind of what this team could be. I mean, they they could be good, you know. They might not be good until. February too. It may what, not be that that good until February. Yeah. What, what, what's sort of interesting about that is, um, yeah, I mean, they've had two teams I can recall that team and the 13 14 team that were as good out of the gate as they ever were. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting dynamic. I don't think that could happen with this team just because Aikens is coming back to young team guys fitting into roles. They're just not there. They're not that team. Um, they're not, they're not. Even, but I wouldn't be stunned if I'm surprised by them a little bit because I do think there are they have a number of things you need to win in college basketball. Um, in terms of they're old at some places, they've got some some key guys who've been seasoned. They they should have good guard play, um, and they've got a number of guys who can score. They're not like going to be hunting for uh oh, you know where do you get a bucket? Most lineups they put out there are going to have two, three guys you know can get a bucket. And the question will become in, inside and how they do that and, and how they're able to maximize their lineups and that stuff we'll all find out. But I do think there's a chance that they're um, more ready to compete at, on, on a national stage than we anticipate. But that I, I kind of like that about this schedule. Like, we'll know that. Because yeah. there's a chance that it's like, oh, well, you know, they're, they're – and then we'll also kind of know – whether I think we'll have a sense whether they're they're close enough. And what I mean by that is you can tell when a team's just like, oh, they're not in their league. They're never going to be in their league. Um, but you can also tell when a team's like, oh, they're they're okay. They're pretty good. They're not quite ready yet, but things could come together and you could see how this could work. And so I think the beauty of the schedule early is is we'll leave November with a with a good understanding of, you know, 
where where this team might be able to get to and and and, and who they might be able to be. You know, Izzo kind of gave a little quietly gave a little tidbit about um kind of that that idea. Um, you know, after the after that game against Northern Arizona, I, I'd asked him about the rebounding piece, like we had talked about, like these guys were aggressively attacking the boards and you could tell there was a concerted effort and he kind of quietly slipped in there that they out rebounded Tennessee in that, that, that secret scrimmage. And that's, that's a big, if that holds, um, cause that, you know, that's a big question. You got a gang rebound and that's a Tennessee was a bigger team, you know, and that if, you know, he kind of just slid that in there in that response, but it perked my ears up because it's like, if you're that's one of the the big question marks about this team is it going to be able to rebound at a high enough level to do what it can and if that's the case you know now you start to think well they got shooters they if they can rebound and then they can they got guys that can get out and run by the way speaking of guys that can get out and run jeremy fears also just signed this is like live play-by-play of the yeah it's it's uh we'll just blend them in there as you know so that leaves just garrick norman um if you're counting at home at 10 18 in the morning um but yeah it's, it's going to be an interesting blend to see you know if they're able to kind of get the things that they need out of those big the the big men in particular but then this type of scoring you need and the type of leadership you need from guys like hogart and hall and hauser that's got to be at a consistent level that's, there's that's, a lot of guys there's some new you know guys what's, and what's that i was gonna say you know what's funny is you we talked you talked about the the years where they got off to really good starts. Well, this group got off to a really good start in 2020. People, it, it's kind of a lost season because of how it finished, the pandemic and everything. But that team, when Hauser was right, well, uh, they, was playing well. They, they some of those teams that they faced ended up not being that great. But nobody was in that that kind of a uh, mode that year. It was because the, of the the circumstances. But. Um, the, those guys have a potential to get off to a good start. We've seen it. You know what I mean? Like Hogarden, Hall, and Hauser, and those those guys were all part of that that group. Yeah, that twenty twenty season. Don't remind me of my takes and early in that year. I mean, it's, it's and, and and there's so much that we didn't know because Duke wasn't very good and other things. But I, I wrote yeah. a column. I mean, I've written a couple. I mean, I can name a couple of doozies in terms of just being wrong on takes. The one on Michigan State's football offense going into the two thousand eighteen season, yeah. and then the column coming out of the Duke game in front of no fans against a bad Duke team on the road in the COVID year where I made some proclamations about that team that um, were not correct, to say the <laughs> least. Uh, or, 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 you know or, what? I mean, and uh, Izzo's talked about this, and I think this, is, this goes back to the Hauser piece as well. I mean, remember, it, so – they've they're finally Michigan State has opened up their locker room again, for the first time since the 2019-20 season, you know, when everything shut down. and Opened it up to media. Yeah. Opened it up to media yeah. for interviews yeah. and post-game, yeah. and it's the most accessible pro, accessible program in the country. Yeah. You know, every, you know, the guys are there, you talk to them. It's very much run, and I think Izzo does this, to get guys prepared for the next level. Like an NBA. You have open place. locker yeah. rooms in the NBA. Um, but we go in there, and – Tyson Walker and AJ Hogart are sitting next to each other. And this is after the exhibition game against Grand Valley. We started talking to them for a few for a few minutes, and I realized they've never been in this environment. Right. And AJ Hogart's in his third year. I mean, that's you know, that's what has been missing for two years. 
for these guys that the normalcy of what Michigan State basketball is like that. Um, so, and I think from Izzo's standpoint too, I mean, it's it's been up and down in, in terms of how to coach guys. And I think this is maybe the first year that he's going to be able to get back to his style of coaching, albeit it's going to have to be altered some with the the roster limitations that that he has. But the one thing I think people don't realize how adaptable Izzo has been as a coach. I don't think he gets enough credit for it because people see the sets, people see the cardinal tenets of the program, but he's he's adapted. He's shown the ability to adapt at times. Particularly, I mean, that Final Four team, the last Final Four team in 2019, he had to change so much on the fly once when Langford got hurt, then in, again when Nick Ward got hurt. Yeah. And then again when Nick Ward got back. So, I mean, and that was, you know, those, those are some – I mean, you, people think Izzo is a very rigid coach, but I think he's he's a lot more adaptable than people think. And I think that this, but at the same point, keeping those cardinal tenants, that's been a hard thing with COVID because how can you be hard on guys if, if they're battling some, I don't want to say mental problems, but I think, I mean, the emotions of going through the pandemic were, I mean, we all know that. Now put yourself in 20, 21 year old kids' minds in college where they're basically sequestered away from everybody but their teammates. I mean, it it, it was a unique environment for a couple of years there, uh, and it's going to be fascinating. I think, like I said, with, as as some of those things come back with the the ability to to have open locker rooms for interviews, and Izzo can be a little harder on guys like he normally is. Um, they can just go uh you know all out practices like normal um that i think is is going to be a, an interesting thing cuz i think that right now at this point in the season he need, he understands that he needs to lead this team that's what he's being hard on on hogard for he it's, he sees the leadership capability in hogard but he doesn't think hogard's there yet um by mid season by january maybe hogard can kind of pull it together and get in that cycle. But Izzo hasn't been able to be hard on guys like he had in the past in those, in these kind of circumstances until now. So I, I think it's going to be, you know, the next month, month and a half, it's going to be Tom Izzo's team. And then I think he's going to try and push it and get his guys to, to become more of that player led team. Yeah. He wants, he wants that badly. And you see, I, I think there are elements of, of, um, he wants it from Hall. He wants it even from Walker in certain ways. You can watch the way those two interact. It's really, really fascinating. Um, By well, the way, um, that we're at ten twenty four, and the final twenty twenty three recruit, Garrick Norman, has signed officially with Michigan State. Well, there it is. My 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 retweets are between LSJ election news and uh, Michigan State's official signings. Um, the uh, Okay, let's talk a little football here. Michigan State will obviously play uh, a good Gonzaga team, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that next week. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the Kentucky game. We'll probably do another one of these right after the Kentucky game next week. So when we next talk, we will have a great sense of how they handled Drew Timmy, how they handled Kentucky, what this team looks like. Um, two fascinating games. Um, the, By the uh, way, one thing I do want to point out, is, and this is the last basketball thing that I want, but um, – there's the, in watching the practices, they had a thing called the Timmy box, which I think is going to be interesting to kind of watch 
and see how they defend him. Um, cause I asked some of the guys, uh, how do you, how do you get him? And then, you know, Hogard actually said, he's like, he's a really patient guy. He, he, he's very calm when he gets the ball and knows what he's doing. And, you know, how do you speed him up? That's good. That's ultimately going to be the, the, how the Michigan state can compete in this game. How do you speed up Drew Timmy and in, you know, wherever he, you know, he, he likes to, to get that spot, you know, foul line in, um, you know, on the, the right block, um, you know, how do you, how do you speed him up? So he's playing out of sorts. That's going to be a fascinating thing. Cause I think that's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for everybody this year, but it's going to be a challenge for this team right away. Maybe they get some wind in the outdoor game. Yeah. Helps take a anyway, shot. Sorry, out. back to football. Sorry. That was no, just no, no, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's dig into the football. A couple things. Well, so obviously a game this week coming off an Illinois game that, you know, it was, um, I, I think a real good sign from Mel cultures, uh, Mel, Mel Tucker's culture and buy-in, um, uh, of the program because I mean, guys responded, you were looking for, how do they respond to all the things that were going on, the distraction with the tunnel, uh, a story that's not over that we'll get into a little bit here. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, you get your, you're out eight guys. Um, and a couple things that stood out to me, Chris is one thing that stood out is, you know, the, there's always this next man up talk. Next man up is, is is a great thing to tell your players. It's an important thing. I, you don't want to ever tell the second string safety you're not good enough to do this. But it only works if you have the certain guys on the field sometimes. Xavier Henderson, Jacob Slade, guys like that matter. And Henderson especially, I think, who they have under – you know, if you have young guys, if you have backups, it's not like their starters are so good at other positions they can't withstand it. But they got to have him, and you've seen the progression they made defensively. I, I think it was, I don't know. I, I think it's one of the more impressive showings because the line of scrimmage they're really good, really on both sides of the ball, better than they've been. They played defensive ends, at, or sorry, defensive tackles at defensive end, and that helped I think against the run a little bit. But I, I thought they they played a, it was a really focused effort that showed a lot of there was just a lot of pride in that effort. Like, wait a second, you know. We, we, we want to be something else than what's being defined of us right now. And that, that, that was my, my big takeaway just from a, a, a sort of a, a gumption perspective. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. I do think the, to me, it, it wasn't even so much the resolve because obviously, you know, the resolve has got to be there in every football game, no matter what. And since the advent of the sport, but, um, what I was really impressed with is this was a matchup of strength versus weakness between Illinois and Michigan state and Michigan state was able to flip it, uh, particularly in the run game. Um, the ability to run the ball for Michigan state doesn't have to be your prime. I mean, we know that Peyton Thorne and the passing game, the, the biggest weapons are on the outside. The offensive line has had its issues, but the offensive line played capable football. And at the point of attack against the team that was that came in the number two ranked run defense in the country and number one defense overall, um, that wasn't that was not expected. You know the offensive line. You know Matt Carrick went down. Um, you know Brian Green was in and out. The Washington State transfer, but I I've I've saw the, the Geno Vandermark for the second week in a row. Fin- finally, those younger offensive linemen are starting to crack the group. And I thought Vandermark again played 
really well like he did at Michigan. And they're scoring when Vandermark's on the field. And then Kevin Wigginton got in uh, at one point, and he delivered a really good – he pulled across the left side and and sprung uh, him and uh, I think it was Spencer Brown sprung uh, – uh, Jalen Berger for a 24 yard carry, which was the longest of the game um, for Michigan State. So that I thought was to me what they were able to do in that run game sets up everything else with the passing game. And they used the running backs in the passing game for, for really the first time this year. I think they had 70 yards and 70 ca- seven catches between the three of them. Yeah, between Collins, Berger, and Broussard. Broussard has a rushing touchdown. It, you know, in talking to those guys, to a man, they say, I mean, when you're able to run the ball, it changes what you can do in the pass game, and it doesn't allow a team to to really come downhill on you, and 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 or just I should say, it doesn't allow a team to just back out and yeah. cover all your receivers. They gotta they gotta respect them. Uh, they gotta respect the run in that moment. So that's to me the biggest development. You know, the defense I thought played great. I mean, all that. Um, but it was it was the things they were able to do on the offensive side that they had not been able to do that really was why they won that game. And, and the question now moving to, to, to Rutgers will be, um, you know, they played, I think, three much better defensive games in a row now. Um, they, they did some things on offense we haven't seen. Like, what's the carryover against a team now that you're expected to beat? Like, Michigan State is a 10.5-point favorite. Uh, nothing says MSU football's back quite like being a double-digit favorite again. I think it's too many points, to be honest with you. I wouldn't – I wouldn't. I'm not saying MSU won't cover that. I just – I, I haven't we, looked at the over-under in a while, but I think it was like 36. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Michigan State has – Their offense is so bad, but their defense is competent. Yeah, and they're they're not Michigan State. I don't think is going to dominate the line of scrimmage or anything. And and Michigan State has not scored more than twenty three points in regulation in a Big Ten game. And so, to win by more than ten and a half feels like your defense better be really on point to to, to pull that off, or your offense better be better than it has at any point. The evidence is, or Rutgers' offense has to be as bad as we've seen. It's been bad. But it's there are four bad. and five football teams still playing for something. This is a big game for them. Yes, um, and. You know, we'll see how they respond after having a really emotional game and setting at home against Michigan, being up at the half and having things go so wrong. This is a kind of a character check moment for Rutgers. And um, so it's, it's, they, it's came hard. In, they came in in 2020 and won in Shiano's debut and Mel Tucker's debut. It, so, but that was that was and, an Indiana. I mean, that's the thing is like Rutgers. It, it looks on paper the way that Rutgers and Indiana are playing right now, that these these two wins will get them or these two games will get them wins that they need to be bowl eligible. Yeah. But those two teams both came in and and have the the muscle memory of winning in Spartan Stadium. Granted it was the pandemic year, but well, that's there's still something to be said about that. This isn't this is, isn't like a cakewalk. The difference is Rutgers beat them in the like the, the real question is where their heads are. Indiana seems to be un, unraveling really quickly here. And yeah, so they've I don't got know some what, quarterback problems that I think totally. are going to really complicate anything that they want to do down the stretch. They, they may be headed for a coaching change. I don't know. They, they they're just that that's a situation where, um, you know, you, Michael you Penix isn't of, walking through the door again, right? You wonder what sort of frame of mind they're in. Um, for in, in two years, things have fallen fallen apart a fair bit, and 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 so Rutgers, you know, we'll, we'll see where they are. I, I do think this is a game Michigan State ought to win, and I do think that that given what they did last week and how they played, like that is still a good Illinois team. Is Illinois? Uh, as good as Michigan, as good as the top of the East? No, 
but Illinois had played some really impressive games. They were still leading the country in, in scoring defense for several reasons. One, they had played Iowa, but also that that um, they, they had sh- – I mean, Peyton Thorne said this week that their top corner is the best kid he's seen since he's been at MSU, and he was on Keon Coleman. An interesting development, too, I think, that the, the teams are choosing Coleman as the place to put their shutdown corner over, over Jaden Reed. That tells you a little bit something about Coleman's development. Um Size, I think size also size had a lot to do with that. Yeah, you're um, right. Yeah. But it's it's also not like they're. I mean, the, the touchdown pass that that Thorne threw to Reed. Reed was Reed just blew through double coverage. Yeah, he got behind by about three to five yards, and that was a heck of a ball by Thorne over the coverage to do that. But the the eyes are on two guys, you know, and I, I think the, the the other guys there's a chance for the tight ends. I think that's where you see the running backs getting into the ball in the passing game. They got to do more with the tight ends. I mean, Barker was wide open on that last play and, and Thorne just didn't even see him. Um, okay. You know, let's, 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 let's go goal. there though. Let's go there. Let's go to the, uh, I think the clock management at the end is oh. a, um, a bone of contention with a lot yeah. of fans and sort of the game management. And it's not the first time they haven't been real smooth there. And you can question some of the decision-making, um, End of half, end of games. We've seen yeah. it both. They're, they're going to have to work on that. And, and, you know, Tucker brought up this week the idea that they have had some communication issues in those situations. And it sounds like, from what I can gather from what uh, Thorne was saying, that it sounds like they signaled in the wrong play, a play that would not work in the formation they had in the situation. So that's like, that shouldn't happen. Like, why, why, why is that happening? And that caused, you know, the timeout or delay, that sort of situation where there was, they were having some issues there. Um, so they've got to, that's an obvious got to clean that up. The, the, the decision at the end is, is, is sort of a fascinating one because I am all about a team going for the win when you're three and five. I'm all about a team going for the win when you think you have a play that's so good that it, your percentage chances of, of executing it are better than your defense holding up in a certain amount of time. But they could have run that clock to under 40 seconds left, um, maybe almost like 30 seconds left. Illinois having no timeouts, having to go the length of the field just to tie it. Um, and before, and, and that's if you miss the Needing field goal. a touchdown, too. Yeah, and that's if you miss the field goal. They didn't even know yeah. if they were going to miss the field goal. And I'm not even sure, given some of their issues there, attempting the field goal, some people have argued, wasn't the smartest thing. Because what if that right. that could be where the disaster happens? Now, I think you got to mention the fact that it was about 40 mile an hour wins, too. That's another thing. Now, I think you got to believe in your guys at a certain point. If you don't attempt the field goal, you're saying we really don't think much of you. And I I don't mind that at all. The throw, like you're right, Barker, Barker's open back there. There is a guy sort of coming on Thorne's face. So I don't know how much, you know, he wasn't going to be able to step into it to throw to Barker. Um, You know, Collins was open ish. Uh, if, if if he's looking, they, they weren't on the same on the same page. Either way, that that play, if they don't have a history and downs where they really need short yardage or really get a little bit in the red zone of of it definitely working, yeah. and so that's that's the argument to run it because it's not like you know like if you talked if you listen to what Brian Kelly said this week at LSU on that two point conversion call against Alabama, he'd been holding on to that play since like 2014 in a game at Notre Dame where that play got called back for an offensive pass interference, he knew he had something he thought would work. Like he, And that's where his mind was. I, I don't sense MSU is, is there going, I've got a play that I've been thinking about since 2012. This is going to work. Or this is a play we've been practicing, and this is this is our play. 
and maybe it was, and maybe it didn't work. I, I, I just think in that moment they probably should have run the football. But I don't, I don't hate the idea of trying to get a touchdown there. Um, it's just no. it, the the play they called didn't didn't come close to producing it. Yeah, and, and I mean you're also in a, I mean you're in a, a, a strange spot again with the field goal kicking. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you could have. I mean, like, quite honestly, if you were gonna, if you are at that point in the field and you you know you're going to kick it on fourth down and again they took that five yard delay penalty which didn't help matters either that no. was problem out of the gate but if you're if you were you you had been getting some creases and running the ball if you run one more play to run it let the clock run down get to one call call a timeout and then give your kicker the ball where he wants it i mean maybe that's you know that's that's the play I mean, that's ultimately the play. And this is, you know, it's it's still a staff that's kind of learning some of those things. Uh, but, you know, that's that's going to be the the argument that people are going to make is like you're getting you're not getting paid to learn. You're not getting that much money to learn on the fly, you know, right. but it's the reality of of a head coach that's now in, only in, you know, year four of, of being a head coach. I mean, this is, you know, you think about when Mark D'Antonio got to Michigan State. He had four years of coaching as a head coach at Cincinnati under his belt. Yeah. You know, so this is kind of, this is, if you want to look at it that way, where Mel Tucker is right now as a head coach is where Mark D'Antonio was when they hired him. Yeah. The one, the one pushback on that, I would just say is, well, that's true. And I mean, but he's been a defensive coordinator. He was a head coach in the NFL a decade ago for a little bit. You know, he's, He's all, and it also these are mistakes that, and I'm not saying there's not a lot of pressure and a lot of things going on, but these are things that sort of common folk can recognize, right? I think one thing that drives fans nuts is when people are paying a lot of money to coach football, make mistakes that they think they wouldn't make themselves, and it's you know, and and, and so those are things they, they've got to get a handle on it. Um, they won the it, game. It's easier said than done. Like when a fight comes into you, you say you should break it up, <laughs> and you're eye level with a all right well let's let's guys number so that's a transition that, there you go well well done okay <laughs> transition transition we, we we um we'll do predictions real quick at the end uh but uh the um the other news this week um is obviously the the tunnel gate or tunnel skirmish whatever you want to call it is not obviously um michigan month we'll, we'll call it michigan month because yeah. it's been a month with the the two weeks between games. Yeah, can't have the bye anymore. Now the can't. two weeks after the game is still Michigan month. Never can have the bye again before the Michigan game. Never. No, we can handle that. Never. Um, the, uh, but the that that situation is not settled, and I don't think will be for a, a, a little bit of a period of time. Uh, and what's getting interesting now is you have uh, an attorney, uh, Dave Diamond, um, who you and I both know to varying degrees or have met or have had beers yeah, with. He, he was at MSU at the same time that I was at MSU, yeah. a couple years older than I was. Yeah. Um, we covered a bunch of things with involving him in student government with the state news when I was in, in, in a reporter there. Back yeah. In the and, and so I, he, I did, I didn't have to deal with it because I was on the sports side. So he was, uh, anyway, he is representing a Michigan state player and put out a release. The first one, a little clunky, the second one, a little bit better, either, even, even so uh, an interesting release, um, I'm not sure if it helps things a lot, but it was um, basically saying that, uh, you know, this was precipitated by a Michigan player 
charging in with his helmet and throwing a punch. And um, that is, you know, I think what we're all waiting to see. And I, and I, what, what he's the not, attorney, I, I think it's his client wants anonymity. Yeah. But I, I heard him on a, on another interview yesterday, confirm that it's not Kari Crump. I know who it is, but I, I okay. it, you know, in terms of, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? You know, you, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not at liberty to discuss who it is, but the situation that we're talking about is involving the Mc, McBurrows kid uh, for Michigan on our side of the tunnel that we watched the incident, okay. not, as opposed to the Jamon Green side of the tunnel. Near but the this Michigan is side, but, and yeah, so so he's not even talking about what Jamon Green's incidents were, or is it? Yeah, okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, that's not clear, by the way, in the release. Um, yeah. And uh, one of the several problems with it. Well, the, the biggest problem I have with all of this stuff right now is, is you have, you, 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 I mean, you think about fan Twitter that we've just sort of dealt with, and I'm not talking about rational, reasonable fans. I'm talking about people who are like fairly big platforms, but can only see things from one side and are sort of trollish and sort of the slappiest of the slappy, right? It's, it's then taking two attorneys that are those people in a sense this is what that is. You get Tom Mars and Dave Diamond on two sides, and it's like it doesn't. It just doesn't. There's no credibility in either one of these guys because they care so much about the university and they see things as I want to help my university in this moment. They may both have some good points, I, like, but they're they, both they fans. I think that's important. Yeah, they are. They are both fans of each each his respective university, and neither one has any any credibility in that sense. And both have like with, with Mars, it's. You know, this idea that Michigan is at least as liable as MSU, like if they're suing anybody, like the idea that Michigan. But let's 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 hold off right there. Because I think this is an important piece that's not really being discussed. The difference between what Tom Mars is doing and what Dave Diamond is doing right here is Dave Diamond is dealing with someone who is charged as a criminal in a criminal investigation, I should say. Yeah, he hasn't been charged yet. And. All eight of those Michigan State players, this isn't the Big Ten interviewing. Right. This isn't a conference matter. This isn't a university matter. This is a legal matter. Right. And what I think that, you know, when you've got someone who's like Tom Mars, who's on, on more of a civil track, you know, a civil lawsuit track with the Jamon Green situation, unless, of course, something changes in that um, where the Michigan players possibly could see any type of charges don't i can't say that that may or may not happen but we don't know what this investigation is going to find out what the trigger was because we still don't know what exactly again i you know i've heard rumors i've heard rumors from pretty credible people about the you know jamon green starting that incident and obviously dave diamond's talking about the mcburrows situation in, in well, i shouldn't say obviously but dave diamond's talking about in in his uh yeah, he should have made that more clear though that's yeah not clear um, you know you know trying to get the anonymity of the players kind of difficult but there were a number of players involved in that so but i do think that um you know the criminal uh defense element here is a big difference i mean these you know it if you are and, and i don't blame these michigan state players they all should have attorneys by now if they're speaking to law enforcement in a yeah, I would have an attorney. They can be sure. they should yep. have attorneys, and they probably shouldn't speak to anyone until they have attorneys. And 
you know, I don't believe they've spoken with Michigan State because I think Michigan State can interview them for a number of reasons. One of which is, you know, Michigan State doesn't want to have something that the the criminal investigation doesn't either. They want to let that play out. I yeah, think the, and, and they wouldn't out. have the police. The police have asked Michigan State not to, and 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 because yeah. what, what you would have it's then important is have because to- Alan Haller, as a police officer, understands yeah. how these investigations work. Well, you would have a situation too where you. Uh, players may say something that they were uh, culpable for that would not have attorney client privilege. And and so there's all sorts of stuff. There are reasons that you you don't. um, Yeah. And, and, and honestly, like I I would assume because of the criminal investigation, if these guys have their own attorneys, like this one player does, and I would imagine they all at some degree do, whether it be through student legal services at Michigan state or their own attorneys, um, they would probably tell them the same thing. Do not talk to the university the, until the we have that... until you are interviewed by police with your legal representation. The release was not helpful in this sense because it was it was I won't say and it, it was not only not helpful, it just was unnecessary because you're dealing with a criminal investigation that's going to let, let it play. I mean, I understand you're trying to change public opinion, but one, I think most people assumed you're talking about the Javon Green incident with when when you talk about what was written in that release. So people have it now incorrect uh, is um, in terms of which situation that is, uh, and it, it doesn't. It, you're not talking about. You know, I mean, I understand there's a component of trying to change um, the way people see about it, public opinion of it. Uh, I don't. I don't think this necessarily did it because I think people already sort of wondered what caused it, and and that is something that at some point needs to. Come out and, and and all this. What 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 sparks this? What leads Michigan State players to be surrounding a guy and uh, sort of ganging up on him? What leads somebody to wildly swing their helmet at uh, uh, somebody else in the tunnel? What what precipitates that? And and I think that's two separate. I think I think we're dealing with two separate instances, but we also don't know that either, right? You know, because you know, as I think of the timeline of it, you know, you you can see that from the ABC video um, and from the video that our colleagues have shot, um, you know, the, the timing seemed like the Jamon green situation started first. And then this was moments after that, but was it, did it, did it also start in some fashion further down the tunnel from what even the cameras picked up because it's an uphill incline um, you know, that I think it's going to be important to, to see what other evidence uh, the police investigation has in terms of video because and, and so, look, whether, it be, whether it be cameras from from the university security, whether it be Big Ten Journey, I mean, no, they're there for those games. Both teams have their own camera crews following their teams around. So, I mean, it, there were no shortage of cameras there uh, in the in the stadium. The question is, were they in the tunnel in that twenty yard jog between? the field and the top of the tunnel where everything showed up for where the reporters were. So the timeline of this now is, is, um, is going to be interesting because I think the big 10 is a little naive in the sense that they, they want to wait for any ruling until the police investigation is done. These things don't move quickly, but some of these players, their careers are moving in real time. Like you don't, you only get so much at so many of these games. It'll be interesting to see. I, I don't think, until there's something in the criminal investigation, I don't think any of these guys be back on the field. I, I think though, in defense of the Big Ten, can you name me another situation where their suspensions would would for an incident 
in a facility. Okay. We're not talking off field stuff. We're talking something that happened in, in the course of game management that you can mete out punishment, but there's also a criminal investigation. I, I can't think of one well, and like I that also- where there's a criminal investigation going on for what happened in, in the game setting in the field tunnel, you know, it's inside of the stadium. I yeah. cannot think of one like that. Well, the other thing they're is I think, of, big, I think they're kind of hamstrung with that. I think the Big Ten is pretty satisfied with what MSU has done to this point, too. They they, they were swift. They, they spent it eight guys, it, it, you know, so there's no need to like, I mean, what else do you need to do in the, in the short term if you're the Big Ten that, that other than at some point you'll find the schools. I think both schools will be fined, um, you know, and, and so they're, um, and you may and, wait. And that, and that may sit poorly with Michigan fans, but uh, I I can tell that you know, in talking to sources, the Big Ten is very frustrated and and not happy with how the tunnel management at Michigan oh, it, is. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I understand that somebody can you can set something up logistically, and one player can kind of ruin it. But that you know, they got to do better. And and it's not just everybody talks about one tunnel. Lots of places have one tunnel. It's where the locker rooms are in that tunnel, right and across the hallway. And how long it takes to get in there, and 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 so the, the bottleneck it creates. It, it's just sort of the build. It's not just the one tunnel. Lots of schools have one. Yeah, tunnel. and that's. All, I mean, like I said, that's a twenty-five yard walk uphill through that tunnel. And then you got to turn, and it's game. tight, and it's not. It's not. It's not great. It's not a great. It's not a great setup. Um, so we'll see where that goes. They're going to be without those guys this week. I almost for sure. Uh, and that's well, maybe. I mean, you know, that's that's I think going to be an interesting situation as well because i don't know if anybody when they suspended them indefinitely anticipated this dragging into a second week um but it'll be interesting to see because i'm I, and mel tucker even talked about it you know he, they have decisions to make with this yeah um, and I'm i think it, you know because what you know what level of culpability is there for right. a couple of these guys i mean you know how many players it, it again remove this from the tunnel if this happens on the field, because I think the tunnel is a a different factor that that exacerbated, but we've seen these kind of fights on the field. And how much is, is the the suspension for something like that a, a game? You yeah. know, not necessarily a helmet swinging incident. Um, you know, but the other stuff. I mean, that's well, a fair question. I think once you so, get I mean, past you, this week, what, what exactly are we dealing with here? I mean, if you are Michigan State and. It, at that point, if you've suspended them for a game and you're still waiting for the Big Ten to issue something, if there is going to be punishment or if that was enough, um, you know, and maybe the Big Ten weighs in for them and says, you know, you're good. But you could also back in the thing, at, you know, into next year if you need to at this point, just simply because of the unique circumstances that are going on because of the a criminal investigation. That's, you know, it, it's wild because that's. You know, I, I cannot think of off the top of my head another situation involving an incident in a game in the in the Big Ten. I'm just going with the Big Ten that 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 there was a criminal component yeah. to it. Well, and one one of the things I think is important uh, in the sense that when we talk about real time moving on their careers, guys only get so much. Yeah, um, I I am a proponent of if you're going to suspend like. I understand that sometimes guys have to be removed while investigations are happening, but if somebody gets cleared, that shouldn't count against their eligibility. And I'm a big proponent of that in any circumstance. And that is otherwise as a coach, I would have trouble without certain levels of evidence 
of taking away certain things from people. Now, I think one, I think anybody who was involved, and 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 certainly, I think one of the things they knew there is, at the very least, the guys who were suspended didn't prevent what was in front of them, and so or didn't help the situation with what was in front of them. And so, if if two games, I think if you get into next week, you're going to the final home game of the year, two games left. And there are some guys in there that you had questions about from the beginning about how much they were really involved in this. I, I think all that stuff gets gets really interesting. Let's um let's do our predictions and uh and and uh and wrap this up here. Um so assuming those guys are out or not, I mean we'll see. Um your prediction for this week against Rutgers and Gonzaga Friday night, Chris. Well, I think I'm gonna go with uh tw- I, I haven't really written this yet, so I'm Going, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> going off the cuff here a little bit, um, and it's also a day earlier than we usually record. Yes, yeah. So, um, I I think I'm going to go with 27 to 13 Michigan State, okay. um, and that may even be it may change by the time it ends up in print. But I think it's in that ballpark. Rutgers is just rough on offense right now, um, and you know that 13 might even be high. Um, but I do think that Michigan State's offense coming out of that game against them, and and that's the thing is like the we didn't really talk about how good that Illinois defense was. I like yeah. seeing what they did. They flew around the field. They hit people. They could cover, um, and Michigan State was able to solve it. I think there's some there's some cachet that comes with that and confidence that comes with that that this offense can build put some building blocks together against a, a Rutgers team that's not that good of a defense comparatively. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. The MSU wins it. I, I said that I wouldn't take them on the advice people to take them on the spread, so I'm gonna stick to that um <laughs> in, in mind with the score. I do think MSU might get to a points total that they haven't yet been at. So I'm gonna say like twenty six to you know seventeen in that realm. That's um, half of what they scored against Akron Graham. Yeah. Well that's well, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's been a while. Like a, <laughs> it seems like a whole season ago compared to the last month. So, all right, it, it's tough to do a prediction for MSU Gonzaga in terms of score because it's early. But what, what your sense yeah. of is this a competitive game, uh, and do they and, and do they win? I'd say that, that it's going to be a competitive game, but I don't think they win. Um, I think that you know, Gonzaga is a little more experienced, and particularly in events. You know, I, I think that's. One of the things over the last couple of years, this Michigan State team hasn't had like, you know, there are, you know, not very many carryovers if, if, from that final four team. Um, are there any left? Is Was Malik on that team? Um, yeah, right. He was. Uh, well, no, no. He's let's see here. I yeah, think he was, was on that team. Um, no, he, yeah, he, had, he had the game at, at, at Seton Hall. No, but that was the season got canceled. He was that was in the final. Oh, you're right. Year. You're right. That yeah, was. So I mean, it's, so yeah. you're now. <laughs> yeah. Boy, talk about things blending together. Yeah. You know, between the pandemic and the past month of Michigan. Yeah. Um, I, I think Hauser, they'll be better. How Hauser's the only guy that's been around. He wasn't playing, but he was at least right. around. Um, I the, think uh, they'll be competitive in this game. Um, you know, and I think it's going to be. One of those games, though, that you're going to maybe see some of the limitations in the post that I think are are, are going to be the work in progress for this team. Uh, but, you know, I, I'd, I'd probably say like a seven to ten point loss, but competitive for most of it. 
I, I agree. I, I think I think this is a. I mean, I, I would be surprised if they're not um, somewhat competitive, unless Gonzaga's just you know out of this world. I think Gonzaga's going to be a really good team this year, a team that's got a chance to win it. But I, I, they don't have quite as many. Um, they don't have Chet Holmgren. They don't have a couple of the, the the real high draft pick guys they've had. I, I think Michigan State can play with these guys, um, but yeah, it, it's hard to it's hard to uh, it's hard to pick them. Uh, we'll yeah. have all right, all Phil. Week. Let's uh, let's lead us out, Phil. Oh. Yeah, yeah. We'll have coverage all week. That's <laughs> right. Free Press, Lansing State Journal, GreenandWhite.com. Um, this has been a production of the Lansing State Journal and Detroit, Detroit Free Press and Detroit Free Press and USA Today Network. Apparently. If you like us, subscribe. If you like us, subscribe uh, everywhere you subscribe. For Phil Friend, who's not here. At Phil Friend. Phil Friend. Underscore Friend. At Chris Solari. At Graham underscore Couch. Those are the Twitter handles. Almost remember it verbatim. Thank you, Chris. For Phil Friend, who is still with us, still alive. Uh, for myself, Graham Couch. For Chris Solari, thanks for listening.